Hi, I'm Johnny Pollard and welcome to season three of the One Giant Mind podcast. In this episode, I talk with Binny, another One Giant Mind teacher. We've got all the One Giant Mind teachers in the room today, which is great. Binny asked a wonderful question of how we integrate high states of consciousness that we might experience intermittently during meditation or in any other any other way. What is the, the, the mechanics of that integration process and how important it is? And for anyone who's been doing any deep inquiry and investigation in themselves and have experienced great contrast in states as a result of your practice, you'll find this very helpful. Enjoy. Hi, Johnny. Hi, Vinny. I'd really love to hear from your perspective and experience regarding the integration of understanding and experiencing the self as all of it, um, boundless, and then coming back into a relatable form. Okay. When we're talking about meditation, we, we often refer to an experience that is described as boundaryless, unbounded. That is to say that in the depth of meditation, we lose awareness of our, lo- our localized position, our, our localized state, that I am sitting in a room with my eyes closed on a chair in Mullumbimby. For example, the experience is more I am aware, but without the features of my localized awareness, which is I'm aware of the fact that I'm sitting in a chair in a room meditating. We can lose awareness of that. That is to say, we can forget where we are and what we're doing and yet still remain aware. And it's only when we start to come out of that state that we become aware of the fact that we've forgotten, that we've we've forgotten the details of our localized awareness, which is to say, I'm sitting in a chair meditating in Malambimbi. On many occasions, I, and I've heard countless reports of meditators saying they felt like they went so deep that as they were coming out, they were actually unable to recall where it was that they began the meditation. Like, what's going on? Who am I with? You know, I have countless examples of where I'll be meditating while I'm teaching a course. And we all meditate together. And for whatever reason, that particular meditation is really deep. And awareness is always there. There's a, a vast, restful unboundedness in, in my experience. I'm not here nor there, but feel kind of everywhere. And then at some point I realize that I'm in that state and attempt to kind of draw myself out because I'm aware that I'm disorientated as far as I don't know where I am. I don't know where I, what, what, what was happening prior to me beginning to meditate. And I, I need to open my eyes to get that 
that moment of orientation. And I'll open my eyes and go, oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm running a course. And it's, it's quite extraordinary because awareness is always there. I'm always there. The experiencer is always present. It's just the details of the localized experience that is forgotten. And when one begins to uh, notice this happening with their eyes closed, one starts to notice a change in the eyes open experience. And that change is that despite everything that's happening, one is able to maintain awareness that it is happening. That it is observable. One can witness their experience as if it is like a movie playing out on a screen and you're watching it. And over time, the awareness that one is having an experience, as opposed to being completely identified with the experience, which is the root of suffering, by the way, where we become highly, entirely identified with the experience that we're having, with no capacity to step back and observe it as something that is occurring, it's a happening. And we are participants of some sort that are able to just watch it come and go. As the repetition of meditation continues to reveal this underlying unboundedness, boundarylessness, we start to notice it pervade the eyes open state. We start to notice that we are less affected by things that would normally affect us. That is to say that we're less triggered by external things that dominate our psycho-emotional plane. We can notice ourselves being triggered and we can notice ourselves interacting with that phenomenon as opposed to becoming completely identified, getting involuntarily roped in to the drama and engaged in it unwittingly for hours, days, weeks in some instances. The space between all of that um, starts to get longer and longer. The space between getting caught up gets longer and longer and deeper. And the time that we get caught up becomes shorter and shallower. And so it's this incremental expansion. And what's occurring in that process is integration. What in its first instance seems very deep, expansive and profound, very quickly becomes normalized. We have the experience again at the same depth and we, our relationship to it is, oh, it's normal. And so the expansion of consciousness works like this. It is incremental, it is subtle and becomes very, very quickly integrated. And people that have meditated for quite some time are often in much higher states of consciousness than they give themselves credit for. And then in some instances, people that have been meditating for a long time can give themselves far more credit <laughs> for the state of consciousness that they're in. But generally speaking, it can go unnoticed.
how expansive consciousness has become because of the nature in which we integrate. So you ask the question, how do we integrate this, this sort of vast expansiveness? The way that we do it is quite natural, quite spontaneous. It occurs very, very quickly, most of the time. There are those occasions and individuals that have such profound, profoundly expansive experiences in contrast to where they are at, that it can confuse them for some time. They don't know intellectually how to reconcile the experience they had with who they remain to be post that experience. There has been an integration, but the ego structure is conflicted. And what generally occurs in, in this event, if the experience is deeply moving and revealing, and there was new meaning found, but the visceral experience to that meaning is lost after a day or two, one will try to intellectually assume the, the position that that meaning implied or that meaning gave, that you are only recalling from a memory. And we have to be very, very aware of when this occurs. We don't want to get caught up in assuming a mood of an experience that we had previously that we might not be having now and to try to render that somehow into our personality to project a personality that is experiencing something that it's not. Because this can cause a fragmentation in our development. It retards our development. And it confuses people. And it robs you of special time, of people, you getting to know yourself more deeply and people getting to know you more deeply. And, you know, all of it is indicative of our, of our yearning to be liberated and, and wanting so dearly to be free that we have an experience and then it goes away. We want it to come back. And so to help us with that, sometimes we, we pretend. And it's, it's very important. That, that would be the only sort of trap in all of this integration business is just to, you know, particularly people that are using you know, psychotropics, um, different plant-based medicines, where they'll, they'll have a journey that'll take them somewhere very deep, very expansive, um, that they wouldn't have been able to generate the experience with their own neurochemistry. They, would, they, they required outsourcing that chemistry in order to facilitate that experience, is going to take them somewhere that is not sustainable, meaning they're not going to be able to sustain it. It's going to come on, it's going to flash real bright, and then it's going to mm, kind of like a comet burning up into the atmosphere. And it'll be a, a, a beautiful memory. It will leave its mark. And what, what I notice is that these experiences become so bright, the memory of them so bright, that the, the memory is held onto in replace of the experience that they're having right now. And we just need to be really aware of that. Allow the experience to come, allow it to go, return to now, and just innocently and authentically be what it is that you are and continue inquiring. And don't be too concerned about rushing the whole thing because you can't.
So integration is a very natural thing. And if as a meditator, you find yourself overwhelmed by your experience that meditation is generating, then you can regulate the, uh, the amount of meditation that you're doing. The, the frequency and the length of the meditations can be altered to just back it off a little bit. If you're finding it difficult to integrate, I think integration is the single most important aspect of meditation because you can you can meditate and have all of these like really wow cosmic experiences with your eyes closed but then you open your eyes and you remain a neurotic mess anxious or you know nasty or whatever then you know it's fair to say so what with whatever you're experiencing with your eyes closed because it doesn't translate to anything practical with your eyes open so what we want to do is be be conscious be aware of how we're integrating how is my life changing with my eyes open? How am I being more me? How am I being more impactful? Yeah. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Can I yeah, follow yeah, on from that? Sure. So I think it's um, always a great inquiry to be in the inquiry. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, who am I? And what is I? And that's where I think my integration gets stunted is when I keep seeing this like ego or this identity or this interface in which I identify as and it's like oh that was not it and um, I find that confronting does that re yeah the, the the question who am I cannot be answered on the level that the inquiry is made on. The experience of who am I is not something that is answered in any kind of conceptual way. To truly understand the self is to transcend the the linear delineation, the conceptual a, a conceptual framework. Rather, it is about allowing attention to just gently fall into its simplest form of awareness be in the heart sense the moment and allow the moment to unfold and who you are is revealed more as a what and what you are is a consciousness presence that is in relationship with its environment, with the environment. And the function of that localized consciousness phenomenon, the self, is in a perpetual state of transmitting energy and information, relaying to the environment and receiving from the environment what's going on in reference to the underlying theme structured within the whole thing, which is evolution, progress, advancement in relationship, ever-deepening relationship. So we shift from trying to understand who we are as a, as, a, as a conceptual idea and come to understand who we are by our function, by what we are. To understand who we are is to understand what we are and how it is that we express ourselves in our most innocent natural state. The who is revealed through the what and the how. And we anchor ourselves 
in the who and the what and the how with our why. And the, the why is, if you want to cut to the chase, how can I be of service? In this moment, how can I be of service to all of this? And then the who, what and how is comes alive, it's clear. Yeah, we, we can't understand who am I in isolation of what I am, how I work, and why I'm doing it. All of those questions need to be answered simultaneously. We're complex. And we'll always be grasping for something that's not there if all we're doing is who am I? Because at the place where the, the who is, there are no questions. So the, the question who am I is being asked from a, from a place that is perceiving separateness from the self. To answer the question and to truly understand it, all questions cease except for how may I be of service? Then it's truly understood. Does that make sense? It really does. And if you're asking how may I be of service, does this then come from a place of ego? Because you are still everything, then identified as I. Yeah. Everything, everything comes from ego. Anybody that says that they're absolutely devoid of ego is, in my opinion, delusional. Because, I mean, unless they're not in a body and it's the universe speaking to you. But even then, the, the universe will refer to itself as I. I am that, thou art that, all is that said it when we're talking in relative terms there always has to be two points of reference a point of reference in relationship to another point of reference freeing ourselves is is not contingent on us eliminating the i it's understanding what the i is what is the i It's a, it's a futile pursuit to eliminate the I. Anybody that I've met that has playfully had a debate about this I business, insisting that anything that I say is just a story conjured up by my ego. <laughs> I ask them, who is it that's refuting the concept <laughs> right now? Who am I in conversation with? Are you here? And they go, yeah. I'm like, well, you know, there you go. <laughs> How do you avoid it? You don't. While ever there is a localized event, there is a degree of I. It's tra traditionally referred to by great masters who are in very high states of consciousness as Leisha Vidya. It is the, it described as the faint remains of ignorance. 
There are those that have gained such high states of consciousness that they are identified with the whole universe as a self on the sensory level. And in order to sustain body life, to stay in the body, they choose to remain somewhat ignorant that they are ah, absolutely all of it. Because the moment that they are, they can't sustain body life. They can't remain relative anymore. They become totality. And so, again, it's, it's a futile exercise. It's, it, it's, it's a healthy exercise to examine the ego structure and to repair the, the, the mistake of our intellect to be directly in alignment with and cognizing directly the truth of our being. And that requires some examination and some discarding of irrelevant belief systems and whatever. But we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. We're not eliminating our sense of self. It'll just create such dissonance in you, confusion, unsettledness, agitation. You'll be confused and, and restless in yourself because you're trying to kill something that can't be killed. And nor should you. It doesn't get you there. And yeah, I think it's important that that's spoken about more because there is a lot of people in pursuit of that. It's a misconception in my opinion. Thank you for taking some time to listen to the One Giant Mind podcast. If you're somebody that hasn't yet got a regular meditation practice, One Giant Mind offers a couple of ways in which you can make that happen right now. You can go to onegiantmind.com and have a look at our teacher directory. We've got hundreds of teachers around the world teaching the One Giant Mind being technique, both in person and online. And if for whatever reason you're unable to get to one of those courses, you could download our free Learn to Meditate app it's called One Giant Mind. It's got a 12-step course that'll get you started. And if you're already a regular meditator and feel deeply called to bring this beautiful practice into the world, we strongly encourage you to check out our One Giant Mind Teacher Training Academy. We train passionate meditators to become powerful leaders in their community, equipped with tools to empower others to know themselves very intimately. We teach a powerful process of how to run a meditation course and facilitate the building and growing of a community. And we would love to welcome you into our global family of teachers. A special thanks to our show producer, Daniel Tucker, aka Spiritual Tradie, our music composer, the one and only Ali Liberman, and all of the One Giant Mind team.